0: Alright, what a wonderful day. We're, we're, we're well organized here today. <laughs> Alright, Genesis 1-1. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was void, without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it be divide the waters from the waters. And God made them the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together unto one place, and let dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and gathered together the waters called the sea. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass and herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after its kind and whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and and herb yielding fruit seed after his kind and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself and after his kind. And God saw that it was good And the evening and the morning were the third day. And God said, "'Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for years, uh, days and for years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens, to give light upon the earth.'" And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And he made the stars also. And he set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and rule over the day and over the night and divide the night from the darkness. And God saw that it was good.'" And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creatures that have life and the fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of the heavens. And God created great whales and great living creatures that moved, which, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and the seas, and let the fowl multiply in the earth. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth every living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind and the cattle after his kind and everything that creeped upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish and over the sea and the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And God said, "Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth, and every tree of which the fruit of the, of the tree yielding seed to you so that it shall be for meat, and to every beast of the earth and to every fowl of the air and to every living thing that creeps upon the earth, everything there there is life. I give every green herb for meat and it was so and God saw everything that he had made and behold it was very good and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So we've been talking about the creation story now for well two weeks directly on this and then we spent the three weeks on Genesis 1.1 <laughs> so we've been talking a long time you might think that I think this is an important chapter I do <laughs> okay uh, but this week we've been talking a lot about the theological side of things God said the creation happened in six literal days, and we know they're literal days because, as pointed out, day, the evening and morning was day one, the evening and morning was day two, day three, day four. We know that there were six literal days. Now, when you talk to people, a lot of people have some trouble with this because they go, well, science says something else. Well, today we're going to look, and this may bore some of you, but I want you to understand that when God gives us the Bible, and teaches us to be a Christian, he does not say, throw away your brain. All right? He, he says, in Isaiah, he says, come now, let us reason together. The one thing I love about the Bible is it matches science, true science. It matches true psychology. It tr- matches true uh, uh, sociology. If it's a true discipline, the word of God matches it. Now, where the sciences disagree with the Bible, the science is wrong. Okay, and we're going to go into this just a little bit. I mean, I could go weeks on this right alone because I love science with a great passion. But, you know, you're going to have many people tell you that we as Christians, we just believe in in creation out of pure blind faith, and we throw away all science. Well, I'm going to tell you that we're going to show you some science that says the Bible is true. And that those who believe in evolution have the pure blind faith. Okay. I don't have enough faith to believe in evolution. I've never believed in evolution. Even as a young child, I didn't have enough faith to believe in evolution. Because it violates every rule of science. All right. We know that life doesn't just pop out of nothing unless you're an evolutionist. If you're an evolutionist, everything stopped out of nothing. And then all of a sudden, life started from nothing and formed all of life. Now we know that that doesn't happen in science unless you're an evolutionist. All right? We know that th- you don't just pile a bunch of stuff together and get more organized unless you're an evolutionist. We know by fact that things get disorganized, and that's exactly what the laws of thermodynamics tell us. Things get less and less organized over time and less and less energetic over time unless you're an evolutionist. Okay? So rules of science tell us that evolution cannot possibly be true. Mathematics tells us that it is virtually impossible. We have millions of genes in each DNA sequence that all have to come together in just the proper order to produce life. I'm not even talking about humans and dogs and cats and all that, just to produce life. I don't know how many of you would like to are gamblers in any way, shape, or form, but how would you like to make the bet that, one, that millions of objects were going to come together in just the right order randomly? <laughs> okay, it bad enough trying to play dice or cards, you know, with a very limited number of options. It would be the worst bet you could ever make. And yet the evolutionist bets on that and says it must happen given enough time. And what we're going to look at is the fact that time is what science tells us is not true. All right, the the creation story tells us that our earth is somewhere around 6,000 years old. You look at the Bible, you look at the genealogies, we're sitting right at 6,000 years. I think I meant to look it up again this weekend, but in the Hebrew calendar, I think they're at 5,860 years or something from creation. So right about 6,000 years. Evolution wants to tell us that man didn't even show up until several million years ago, and life didn't begin until 65 million years ago, and we got to go back 4. some billion years <laughs> to the beginning of everything. And this is where their fantasy begins. Okay, uh, as one of the speakers that I used to listen to goes, all fairy tales begin once upon a time, <laughs> in a kingdom far, far away. Where does evolution begin? Many, many, many years ago, (laughs) in a time not like what we're in like now, sounds just like a fairy tale. and yet people buy it as science. So one of the things we get out there is they'll tell us that radiometric dating, carbon-14 dating, tells us that things are millions of years old. Only problem is the half-life of carbon-14 is 5,700 years, supposedly. Now, that's hard for something with that short of a lifespan. to date something at millions of years. Okay, so even if to get to millions of years, you're you're reading such a small amount of it that you can't read it anyway. So just be aware that when somebody tells you that it's been carbon dated at millions of years old, they're lying. Plain and simple. They're lying. You know, we get into this whole thing with all the discoveries that are made. You know, how many of you have heard somebody, we have just discovered the oldest Indian settlement out there. It's always about 100 years greater, than, older than whatever the previous one was. You know, we have just discovered the next early, oldest one. Why does it have to be the oldest one? Because they don't want page 38 of the, of, the, of the magazine. It has to be the newest so they can have front page. So they always will tell you it's the oldest one out there so they can have front page copy instead of having it someplace in the middle to the end of the book. It's not because they have any reason for it. They'll give you carbon dating. But if you give eight, car- eight different places the same sample to carbon date, you're going to get eight different answers. It's not very accurate. All right? I'm just keeping you warning so when people tell you, you may not be able to remember and argue this with them, but just be aware that the true science does not support millions of years. All right? We look also at the idea of the uh, re recession of the moon do you realize the moon is getting away further away from us every year not very far just a couple of, couple of centimeters every year but you know if the earth was several million years old this is not the same moon because <laughs> if you went back far enough the, the moon would be rolling along the earth on its rotation because it moves that far away you know, we came from looking at these little things. We look at something like the salt amount in the oceans. We know the amount of, of salt that gets put into the ocean is about 480 million tons of salt every year. That's a lot of salt being put into the ocean. Now, the ocean's pretty big. It loses about 132 by evaporation and being washed up on the shores. And assuming that there was no salt in the water at the beginning of time, the, the, there's enough salt in the ocean to be about 10,000 years old now I don't believe God created a, the sea without salt in the first place and then there's also another big event that would cause salt to go into the ocean and that was something that happens in chapter 8 of this same book we have a great big flood that covers the world <laughs> and that would add a lot more salt than the normal amount of salt in, in one year so are we saying the Earth is 10,000 years old? No, I'm saying that, it's, that the oldest it, the ocean can be is 10,000 years old. Kind of fits into our timeline, doesn't it? As opposed to the millions of years that evolution wants you to believe in. Okay, whole point of this is not that we can prove that, it, that all these things happen, but that it is not, does not make sense to believe in millions of years. We have the decay rate of the magnetic field of the Earth. And most of you may not know much about the magnetic field of the Earth, but it's that thing that makes your compass work. Your face is north. It's decaying. It's decaying very rapidly. And they say that the decay rate of the Earth, this one's kind of a little bit on the high side. It said that it's approximately um, 10,000 years old. (laughs) Right Right in, fits in with what the Bible says. You know, not the millions and billions that the world needs to make a world of evolutionary standards. So I'm not covering all of these sciences with you fully and in detail if you want to. We can. You can sit down with me. I love science enough. We'll talk all, all you want about it. One of the greatest discoveries in 1987 was a partially fossilized T-Rex bone. Only part of it was, was fossil. The rest of it was still bone that in and of itself was a very strange consequence because the bone should have if it was millions of years old like t Rexes were supposed to have lived the bone part should have disappeared what was worse was that they found blood cells in the non partial non fossilized bone if that bone was millions of years old it would be impossible for them to find blood cells Yes, they were dead. Believe me, they were dead. They weren't, they weren't living. They were dried blood. But if it was millions of years old, not only would the bone have been gone, but those blood cells in it would have been gone. Again, T. rex lived a lot more recently than they wanted to tell us. You know, how many? I don't. Uh, nobody's ever speculated how old it would be, take for all of that to disappear, but it's much less than the millions of years that you need for a dinosaur by the world's standards, you know, and this is why when we studied day five, day five and day six, I told you when were, when were dinosaurs created? Well, the flying ones and the water ones were created in day five and the land ones were created in day six. Dinosaurs walked with man, all right? If you believe the word of God, and I do, dinosaurs walked on this world. And people go, why aren't they mentioned in the Bible? And we told you, they are mentioned in the Bible. They're called dragons, all right? They were called dragons. And if you look at the dragon's pictures of everything, they're great big creatures with long necks, long tails. Some of them breathe fire, which we t- know in Leviathan, and, and Luke and uh, Job tells us he breathes fire. All right? So we know that the descriptions are there. You want to read a description of a dinosaur, uh, of a dinosaur read in, read in uh, Job 39 and 40 and 41. Read about Leviathan. Read about Behemoth, and you'll read a very strong picture of a dinosaur in both cases. Do not take your NIV which tells you it's a hippopotamus or, or, or an elephant, okay. Uh, you know, it talks about a cedar, a tail of it like a cedar. I've never seen an elephant or a hippopotamus with a long tail that would remind me of a cedar tree, all right. But that's what the NIV will tell you that those are. I don't know where they came up with their drugs that they were on when they wrote that, <laughs> but uh, that's what they said, all right. You know, another one is very interesting for a proof of a short, short earth is the whole population of the, of the, of the human population. Mm-hmm. There's not enough people on this world to even be more than 10,000 years in existence. Even if you want to go back to evolutionary standards and say we're only supposed to be here for hundreds of thousands of years, there's not enough people. From, it took until 18, where's my note on that, 18, uh, 1,200 to get to the first million people in the world. From the beginning of time to 1,200 to get to the first million people. Now it's gone exponential since then. All right, We got to the 2 million mark very quickly and now we are at the 4 trillion people mark in this world. It took almost 5,000 years to get to 1 billion and since then... We have jumped dramatically, and it's only going to get much larger. We are doubling the population at about every 150 years now. So if God tarries for 150 years, we'll have about 9 trillion people on this world. Probably not sustainable, which is another reason we're probably at the end days. All right, But we look at this because of the exponential for format of the population growth, there is not enough people on this world to be even 10,000 years, and yet evolutionists want to say we've been around for hundreds of thousands of years. Okay, Why am I going through all of this? I want us to understand that the Bible is true not just for theological terms. It is true when we look at good, quantifiable science. All right, Can we prove the young earth? No, but I can look and say, these have a lot of strong evidences on it. We have a young Earth out here. Geology, this is the big one they like to look at. They talk about the geological column, all right? You know, where you see all these different things. You see lower, lessle, lower level fossils at, the low, at deeper down in the, in the ground, which is not necessarily true. But that's what they'll tell us. <laughs> but you know, I think about this. Why would there be fossils in the first place? <laughs> You know to get a fossil, you have to bury the stuff quickly with a lot of pressure. It's miraculous. You can get fossils without a great big flood, but usually a flood is involved in making fossils. And as Ken Ham says, what would you expect from a flood? Millions of dead things being buried quickly and being, you know, being made into fossils. What do you see when you look at the the supposed geological column? You see shells and, and sedimentary things buried in large numbers. You see some fish and smaller stuff buried underneath that. You see a handful of mammals and then you see some really big mammals, very small amounts. Wouldn't that be exactly what you would expect in a great worldwide flood? All those things laying in the bottom of the ocean are going to be covered quickly and not get away. Much of the fish would get would be overwhelmed by the flood. Less and less mammals are going to be overwhelmed and dumped into the into the sediment. We see exactly what we see in geology. Now we also look at the geology and says especially with us being right here near the Grand Canyon you see those wonderful little strata that go up and down and zigzag and everything none of the strata go straight across the canyon. You drive down our roads, you look on the roads and none of those strata go straight. They, they bend and they shape. Now it's not unusual to say that that can happen that it can bend. It is virtually impossible for sandstone and limestone to bend like that unless it was bent when it was still forming. If it had been bent later on, you would end up with granite, marble, and quartz, which is not what we see in our rocks around us. We have lava rocks, but much of our rocks are sedimentary rock that is bent and shapen while it was wet and still pliable so we look at this stuff and say what would be out there how can we see all of these changes going on through our through our science one of, one of the other great things that they found they found this uh, bacteria that they call the Lazarus bacteria it's supposedly 65 million years old When they checked its DNA out after they got it out of the amber, they found out that the DNA was almost identical to our modern day bacteria. Surprise, surprise. God says everything reproduces after its kind. And sure enough, they found bacteria that's supposedly old. Now I'm not going to say it's 65 million years old, but science themselves are trying to say it is. So okay, I'll give it to them. It's 65 million years old. It's still the same DNA as today's bacteria. Okay. To me, that seems strange. If evolution was true, that bacteria should be totally different than today's bacteria, okay? There shouldn't even be a similarity enough for them to say it's bacteria, all right? We look at these things. The last one I want to talk about is what they call irreducible complexity, and that means that there are certain things out at the atomic level, at the cellular level, that have no other use than just the cell and I don't remember, you guys may not be as much into science, but you know, reproduction came, comes along by tearing a DNA in half into RNA strips, and then there's little micro-biological um, um, micro machines that come along and they copy your, D, your RNA, and then there's another one, my, machine that comes along and forms them back together to create two, DNL, two DNA strands, and then it splits. You know, the problem is, why would you have those micro machines if they weren't having DNA to split and if you don't have life how can you have a DNA to split and why would you have a machine hanging around to split the DNA and recombine the DNA if there's no DNA to to put together do you understand the problems as we go further and further down you know there are problems all the way down when you get right down to the to the level of the cell when Darwin put together and popularized the idea of evolution. He did not begin it. It was, be, it was in existence before he did. Was, he looked at the cell, and the cell had a wall and a black dot in the center of it. <laughs> and he says, oh, that's such a simple thing. It could just generate by itself. But now that we can look deep into the cell, we realize the cell is not a simple thing. The, simp- the, the simplest cell is a highly complex Organization of life, with many parts in it to make it even work, and we're not going to bore you all with all the parts of the cell. I I took a class in it; it was fascinating to me, how complex the cell is, and it cannot exist. The simplest amoeba cannot exist without all the parts that are in it, all showing up at the same exact moment. live because there are parts in it that it cannot do without. Just feeding the cell is an amazing complex uh, opportunity because it takes an enzyme outside the cell to open up the cell wall so that the food can get into the cell in the first place. You know, how did you know the food you needed? How did you get an enzyme? I mean, you just think about how much complexity is involved and the, the world will tell us that don't want to believe in God. You guys just have blind faith you just have blind faith to believe that there's a god out there. Well, I'm going to tell you it's a whole lot easier to believe in a god out there who organized everything than somehow random chance and violations of science brought together all of this this world. So one of the whole purpose I'm trying to help us with is not just that this is important, you know, and I know this is much more scientific than I normally go on. I usually stick straight to the Bible. But I want you to understand, we don't believe in creation, we don't believe in God, just because the Bible tells us to. That's a good starting place. you know. And I've said this, if you, you need to be able to say, I believe every word in this book, and if it's not true, if this book is not true, we throw it away and we have nothing to live on. Because if I have to sit here and try to figure out what's true in the Bible and what's not true in the Bible, I'm making myself God, and I don't have a book worth living by. But then I know every word in this book is true. Just been studying it a short time, 48 years, but I know that every word in this book is true. And it can be lived by. And the guys that I know that have been studying it longer, they say the same thing. We want to be able to say to these people that go, you just have blind faith. No, you have more faith than I do. To believe what you believe, you have much more faith than I do your faith is wrong but you have much more faith and this is where we look at we're not just looking at this to see that it's blind faith but this book tells us how everything started it tells us why evil came into this world and it tells us God's plan to overcome that evil we sang the song this is amazing grace and it really is amazing Sarah's testimony was about the same thing God loves us so much that he gave his life so that we could be saved and spend eternity with him. He knew we owed a debt to him that we could not pay, so he paid our debt. On that cross, he became sin and took all the punishment of the Father upon himself so that we did not have to pay for it. And all it means for us is that we turn to him and say, God, I am a sinner. I deserve that punishment you took it, come into my life and be my Lord, and He will change you. you. know, I was talking while they were at the women's thing. I was talking with the with uh, uh, the pastor and the other the other men that were there, and we were talking literally about how wonderful it is to watch somebody when they start praying a salvation prayer. They may not even believe it when they start praying it. But God, somewhere in the middle of that prayer, when they have enough faith to just step out, God meets them and changes them. They start praying, not believing that it's going to do any good. And they come out of it. (laughs) If it's a true prayer and true belief, they come out of it knowing that God has come in and released them from the burden of their sin and now is indwelling them and changing them. This is the whole thing I want us to understand, not just that we understand all the science. You know, most of you are not going to be able to repeat this back to the people who want to want to argue and fight about it and it's not worth it anyway. I'm giving it to you for one reason, so that you have the confidence that the word of God is true. And then when you start hearing all about 65 million years ago, 128 million years ago, 4.6 million a trillion years ago, you know that all they're telling you is once upon a time in a land far far away. <laughs> These, these things might have happened. And anytime we hear that, uh, that uh, statement, we know we're being set up for a fairy tale. I want you all to understand, when you hear these words come out of so-called scientist's mouth, 65 million years ago, I want you to hear far, far away in a land, far, uh, long, long ago in a land far, far away, lie is coming. The lie is coming. Okay? We need to be able to say, God, you've given us your word. You are true. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me, he said. He is the only way to the Father. He speaks the truth, and the truth will set us free. We need to be able to understand that truth. If we start throwing away this first part of the Bible, we're saying, okay, God, I don't believe what you wrote. I'm going to believe what I believe. You have nothing to stand on. You're standing on quicksand at that point. You go, Pastor, you actually believe that literal? I go, yes, I believe it literally. <laughs> I believe that there was a six-day creation that happened about 6,000 years ago. And I believe that in about, a, in about 1,000 years, God's going to destroy this world <laughs> and start a new heaven and new earth. Now, how far in there do we have in between those? I don't know. I know we're at 5,000 or somewhere before, before 6,000. I know there's a 1,000-year millennial kingdom. And at the end of that kingdom, God destroys everything. 7,000-year physical world told to us in scriptures. Could it be longer? Hey, it could be longer. I'm not trying to set any dates. But it fits into the patterns we look at. And we see the plan that God has. But the most important thing is, because of the sin of Adam and Eve, we are all born sinners. And we need Christ. Without Christ, we will spend hell eternity in hell. And we've talked about this several times, and I do it because we're on the internet all the time on this as well. You know, more people are going to be in hell than we expect. And when we get to heaven, the old joke goes, you're going to be surprised at who's there. You're going to look around and say, how in the world did you get here? And you're going to be looking for other people, and you're going, I knew they were going to be here, and they're not there. Because the only thing that gets us into heaven is the grace of God being accepted his amazing grace is the only thing that will get us into heaven doesn't matter how good we are doesn't matter how bad we are technically if we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior he clothes us with his righteousness and by his grace we will be in heaven and it doesn't matter how good somebody is if they don't know Jesus they're gonna spend time the rest of eternity in hell So it all comes down to what have you done with Jesus? Is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? And when we talk about this, we're not saying just do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in God? James tells us you believe in God, you do well. The demons believe in God. They're not going to heaven. All right? They believe. They're not going to heaven. It is really making him Lord. Lord. And saying, God, I want you to be mine. And the good thing when you do that, He comes in and He says, "Fine, I'm now in charge. Amen. I'm now in charge." We sing a song, and I love it. She goes, "The song is you saying it says, I give you all my victories and and all my defeats. God takes everything, and all the victories are His, and the defeats He turns around and uses for good." Now, there are consequences for the defeats. Don't get me wrong. There's consequences for them. But God is going to use them. So our goal on this whole thing is, do we believe in God? Enough for salvation. Putting all our trust on him. You know, for me, there is no plan B. If God is not true, I'm in trouble. (laughs) I know he's true. But if he's not, I have no plan B. That's very strange for me because I'm an organizer. I'm a manager. I like to have plan B, C, D, and E just in case plan A does not work. But when it comes to God, there is only one plan, and that's him. If you have a plan B or C, you don't have enough faith in plan A to be true. All right? When you trust Jesus, he has to be the only way that you're trusting, and you get rid of all other ideas of, of fixing it. Last thing is, you know, I think about this when you, I don't know how many people have ever repelled. (laughs) You know, I I repelled once in a camp, actually two or three times in that week, but the first time I did it, I weighed about 260 pounds and they gave me this little tiny skinny rope (laughs) and said, this rope is going to help you down this wall. (laughs) Now, the wall was only about 40 feet, but that's still a long fall. (laughs) And I'm looking at this little rope going, that thing can hold me. <laughs> and they go, yes, it'll hold you. Now, I could have sat all day saying, I know this rope's going to hold me. I know this rope's going to hold me. But when did I prove that that rope was going to hold me? When I went over the edge of that wall. This is the way it is with Jesus. We may say, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he died for me. I believe that he is, is, can take care of me. But until you are ready to go over the edge and trust him completely, you are not, a Christian. You must take that step and say, "I am His, and I'm totally submerged in Him, with no other hope." And you all know whether you've done it or not. I'm not gonna. I'm not here to judge anybody. That's not my job. I know the testimony of everybody, most everybody in here. There's a couple guests in today. I don't know. That say, "I am His." You know whether you are or not. I haven't known many of you long enough to know you from the past. I've seen some changes in people that I'm pretty sure many of you are saved because <laughs> I've seen the changes. But we're also talking to the internet o- audience here that may not know him. Today is the day. If you don't know him, today is the day to get to know him because we don't know and we're not guaranteed that we have tomorrow. We're not guaranteed that we have next hour. <laughs> you know, we're not guaranteed that when we leave this building, you're going to make it to your house, and many of you have a very short distance to home. <laughs> okay? But there's no guarantee you're going to make it there because God never promised us that chances are we'll make it odds are we'll make it to our houses but today is the day to decide where am I with God if you are somebody who's kinda walking on the edges and you know that you know God but he's not your Lord today is your day to turn turn it over to him and make him Lord and master go over the edge and say God I prayed to you many years ago I'm pretty sure I'm saved, but today I want to commit my life to you. I am looking forward to the day when I've got a bunch of excited people about Christ. They're out there just sharing him, talking, living a life that's different. Because you know what? Living a Christian life is hard. It is very easy to live like the world. The world wants you to lie, steal, cheat, think bad thoughts. What do we do as Christians? Love one another. Do good, good good, to those who hate us. <laughs> now that's hard. You know, that's really hard to do. Show grace, show mercy. They're very easy things, aren't they? And again, we're taking that very tongue in cheek. They're not easy things to do without God. With God in our life leading us, they become easier and easier to do because he changes us. Lord, we just thank you today for each person that's here. Lord, if there's anybody listening on the internet or even in this room that doesn't know you, Today we beg that you work on their heart to get them to accept you and and just ask the prayer, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. Come into my life. And Lord, for those who aren't committed to Christ at this point, that they would also pray, Lord, make me willing to change to be more like you and cover those things. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.